Welcome to episode five of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, and I'm joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. I felt like coming into this week, this podcast was at risk of becoming an Alec Manoa hype podcast, which is something I kind of wanted to avoid. But then uh, Mr. Manoa came up and had a truly stellar MLD debut, and he has forced our hand. So we got to keep with the Manoa train. Stone, what's your first impression? Kind of other than good, because we could end the conversation as that was good. But I think <laughs> the people expect a little bit more. Uh, okay, so awesome, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, there's a uh, few other adjectives out there. Yeah. I don't know if you've got a thesaurus. <laughs> uh, not on hand, but no, it, it was, uh, you know, the changeup looked better than we expected. You know, that's sort of been the book on him is that it's, you know, uh, not that it's an awful pitch, but that it, it comes and goes maybe. Uh, but, you know, getting strikeouts with that, that was great. Um, the slider, I, I do not feel like he was hanging sliders left and right, like a lot of the concern was coming out of the uh, uh, the last Woo Sox start, which, you know, the camera angle there did not uh, just does not do the TV scouting any favors, I don't think. Um, no, it's tricky. <laughs> and, yeah, it was just, you know, what the, the, all of the adjectives, all the wonderful good adjectives, that, that's all you need to really say, I think, right? Yeah, there's not a lot that he could have done differently, I suppose. You know, he came out and he walked that first batter. And, you know, it was four pitches. It was four fastballs. And none of them were near the plate. And there was that little moment of Nate Pearson dread there, for sure, <laughs> where you were like, oh, no, he's not going to have the handle on this. And, you know, he couldn't have come back from that quicker. You know, he got Rubnet Odor on that nasty changeup. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of established that pitch right away. And then he got Aaron Judge with just a fastball right down the middle of the plate. But but, <laughs> was. but Judge wasn't ready for it. And he, he was looking at the slider, presumably, because Manoa really likes to go to the slider with two strikes. That's one thing I noticed about the start in general is that there were quite a few fastballs that were in the meat of the plate. Mm-hmm. And they were hard. You know, he's throwing around 95. I think he averaged 94.9 in the end. And he got it up to 97, too. So I don't want to say that this wasn't you know, it's not like it's not a good fastball. It clearly is. But he seemed to blow guys away with it down the middle of the plate in a way that I'm not sure I expected. Yeah, and in a way that I I don't know if that bodes well. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know if you can replicate that. But but I think that's how it's sort of been working too. Obviously, there's some deception there. Obviously, there's there's movement on the fastball. He's got, the, you know, the two fastballs now. He's throwing sort of a sinker and a, and a, a four-seamer. Um yeah, I don't. I, 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 that was definitely noticeable, uh, and I guess that's probably where a lot of those concerns were sort of stemming from, with, with you know, seeing pitches in the middle of the plate. Um, but yeah, it sure worked. I, I don't know. I think everything else is just so good that that, that if you're off balance like that, maybe that's going to continue to work for him. Uh, obviously, we can't just we can't expect this to continue to go this well. Like there will be hiccups at some point. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it was it was incredibly encouraging if you're a Blue Jays fan and if you're a Blue Jays fan who's you know paid any attention to the giant holes in their rotation. Yeah, there's one thing that stood out to me about the outing is that it's funny because we we saw a lot of Mark Burley and there was always the you know Mark Burley is a guy who just takes what the catcher gives him 
and he puts faith in his teammate, which could just you know, and Burley had a great career to be fair, yeah. but you know that could just be an excuse for laziness. It's like I don't want to do any <laughs> of the scouting reports tough. I don't want to do any of the pre work. Just I got, I got a Tim McGraw show to get to. Yeah, like I clock in at nine, I clock out at five, and I leave my work on the field. Could be one of those situations. But anyway, I think that we get used to thinking of that as a positive, like because of our experience with Burley. But I noticed that Manoa shook off a lot of pitches. And I don't think, you know, McGuire's a bad game caller by any means. I don't have very strong opinions about him in that way. Like I actively think of Jansen as a good game caller. Um, McGuire, maybe not quite as much, but not so bad. And there was one at bat that really struck me, which was in the third inning. He was facing Odor for the second time. And he gets ahead 0-2 in that at-bat easily. And then he throws three pitches, and they're well off the plate, too. And it gets back to a 3-2 count. And I don't remember exactly how many times he shook off McGuire, but he was going to throw exactly what he wanted to throw in that moment. Like, he realized this is a crucial pitch to get out of the inning. I think he, he probably shook off two or three fastballs, and then he threw him a slider that was on the plate but nasty, and that's how he got out of that inning. And that really struck me as a guy who has a plan, who has a lot of confidence. And you hear that a lot. I think it was Shulman said at one point, when you hear people talk about Alec Manoa, you almost, the stuff is almost secondary. A lot of people talk about his competitiveness uh, and, you know, his approach, his mentality, his attitude. And that was one of the moments that struck me in that regard, because there, here's this crucial pitch, and he knew exactly what he wanted to do. And in his MLB debut, despite this big fastball blowing people away, even on the plate, he said, you know what, I need to throw this 3-2 slider. He did it, and it worked perfectly. Yeah, I, I, I do remember the moment that you're talking about there. And, and the confidence thing is uh, is clearly a thing, and the mound presence thing, and the fact that he's a big lad you know, is, is definitely... Uh, it's all part of it. I mean, look, no one looks no one looks big compared to Aaron Judge, though. I guess, and, the, and so the stuff is obviously backing up, backing it up. It's like you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna be intimidating to that guy uh, or many of the Yankees. I feel, but uh, but yeah, I, I think that was a that was telling, and the and and just yeah, the confidence to throw any pitch in in any situation, I think, is really good too. Um, I don't know the shaking of if it yeah I think you're right it's like if the shaking off Reese McGuire is one thing you know if he was shaking off you know a, a, a 15 year veteran catcher with with the 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 a vaunted reputation maybe you'd be maybe you'd be more uh, concerned about it but um, but you know it worked it clearly worked he clearly did have a plan and does have an understanding of, of his stuff and what's going to work and um, it was it was just a pleasure to see and it was a pleasure to see him. Get offline, like you say. That it, it it sucks to have to compare him to Nate Pearson, but it's just you know that's just another really good pitching prospect that we've just gone through this with, and just to it's unfair to Pearson, who you know is is struggling and is just built differently and is not you know has, has had the injuries and has all sorts of stuff. But yeah, you know, like to see Manoa kind of lose it a bit or like come out of the gate with not quite having everything online uh, and recover really quickly. Uh, was really interesting because that was uh, an encouraging because because that's something we've seen with Pearson where it will just go for long long spells and he can't get the mechanics right and he can't find the plate uh, and it seemed like Manoa is not going to have that sort of issue. Yeah, I mean the combination between that aspect, which like you said, compared to Pearson, isn't totally fair, but people will do it. It's inevitable that him kind of contrasting that way, just the overall success. 
and then uh, you know the cheering section, the the big three yeah. there, <laughs> and it, you know, and that post game interview with Hazel May. Like, I think that there's not a lot. Alec Manoa could have done to endear himself to Blue Jays fans more. And then you add in the dominated Rugnet Odor thing multiple times. <laughs> like yeah. if you're making a checklist of how do you get Blue Jays fans to love a guy and he's 260 pounds and we know that the Blue Jays faithful, I think is inclined towards the thick lad thing in a way that maybe not all fan bases <laughs> are. So definitely every, everything he did, like he has absolutely captured the heart of the Blue Jays fan base instantly and also potentially instantly. And you touched on this briefly too. filled. I get it's hard to say he's filled a hole when he's had one outing, but there's been two gaping holes in the Blue Jays rotation all year. And if he can do anything that's, you know, remotely like this and, you know, he won't, he won't throw scoreless outings every time. But if he can have consistent, decent innings, now instead of two holes, you've got one, which with a, a massive bullpen isn't that hard to navigate, or if Stripling bounces back, or if you know Pearson is able to come up, not in the near future, but you know, a couple weeks down the road, suddenly what looked like a dire situation is a lot more manageable if one of those holes is a guy that you don't have to sweat over. Yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. And, you know, Thomas Hatch is another guy who's going to be an option uh, very soon. I think he can come off the 60, uh, if not, maybe not today, but like very, very close to the end of this week. So uh, my uh, unpopular opinion is that I think there's too much Hatch starter optimism like that. I, I think that's a fair opinion. He wasn't a great starter at the double A level when he was relatively old for that level. Like, yeah, he was good out of the bullpen last year and I do like his stuff. But I think we saw this with Biagini back in the day where he had success out of the bullpen, had been a starter before in the minors, but not successfully. And we thought, okay, he's got the repertoire to do it, which he did. He had quite a few pitches and he threw relatively hard. But, you know, he hadn't been a good starter before and there wasn't a huge reason to expect he would be at the MLB level. And that's kind of where I'm at with Hatch. So I think he could really help the bullpen. I think that's fair. Yeah, and, and I, I like Hatch. And I think that, the you know, what I would say, I guess, about the double A stuff is that it, uh, he sort of became a bit of a different guy when he started when he got to the Blue Jays and started throwing changeups, and he, you know, he was a guy that the Cubs really liked for a long time, and then did sort of stagnate there, and and maybe is a bit of a different guy than he was uh, when they decided to let him go in the Phelps trade. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it, it yeah, he, I don't think he's going to come in and be Alec Manoa. I think that that's that <laughs> that's not a usual thing. Uh, and obviously, and, uh, and and whether he starts or not, I think it, uh, he will definitely help. But you're right. I think that the the idea that he can come in and, and take one of those spots and stuff that's clearly Pearson's spot. I think is the is the next. You know, by the end of the year, the Blue Jays will be in a real good place if they have Pearson there, Manoa with Ryu Ray and Mats. Right. I mean, that's that's pretty good rotation for like the second half, uh, which is maybe putting too much on Manoa, putting too much on Pearson, but. Uh, at this point, I think you know Manoa could shoulder a lot of weight right now, uh, literally and figuratively. I mean, even if you know, even if Pearson isn't ready for quite some time, I think it's easy to overestimate the need for kind of that good fifth starter. Obviously, it's nice to have, but the vast majority of teams don't have a decent fifth starter. So if it's Ross Stripling, uh, you know, who looked a lot better his last outing. He did, and they were talking about mechanical changes that he that he made, and he'd been stubborn about you know 
doing things, you know, before this and sort of said he saw his career sort of flash before his eyes kind of stuff. Uh, so there, there's there's hope there. He's been a good pitcher, even though the Blue Jays have obviously not really seen that yet. Yeah, so I think, you know, maybe it's stripling, maybe it's not. You know, maybe they give Hatch a shot. Maybe he does better than I'd assume. But you don't need that great fifth starter to be a really good team, especially with the offense the Blue Jays have. I think that the difference between two holes and one hole in the rotation is massive. Uh, and if Manoa is that guy, then you have to feel just so much better about the Blue Jays, you know, not running their bullpen into the ground, which is something they managed to do even with a nine-man bullpen, which is pretty impressive. Uh, I think it just it makes so many aspects of the team better if Manoa is that guy. And by that guy, I mean a, you know even like a low-end mid-rotation starter, which clearly his ceiling is way higher than that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, well, who's his rookie of the year competition? Where, where, where's that at, do you figure? <laughs> oh man, yeah, I haven't looked at the AL rookie of the year in a while, but you know, it's uh it's May, so that's not too early to uh have that conversation after one start. You know, what yeah. Yerman Mercedes doesn't doesn't play defense. So Alec Manoa plays defense. He he there he plays know. defense at his position, so I don't see why not. What a race. It's gonna be a fun summer. You give me a nice uh segue there, because speaking of <laughs> award races it's it's interesting the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. award MVP train uh, is starting to chug out of the station a little bit, and I and this again I I like to not say I wrote on X, but uh, a couple of weeks ago I wrote it, and I, I kind of felt a little bit self conscious about that piece because I thought you know am I a little early on the could Vlad be an MVP candidate and Shohei Otani was so ingrained in the public consciousness at that moment I think a lot of people were dismissive of that idea and now it's a week later and he's hit a ton of bombs <laughs> and yeah. he leads the majors in war he's currently hitting 333 443 661 which is patently ridiculous so is Vlad for MVP something that is a pipe dream or is it something that is you know conceivable to you I think it's conceivable absolutely I mean it 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 doesn't hurt that Mike Trout is out at the moment, right? I, I don't think we even have a conversation if Mike Trout's in. Yeah. Just leave it to Mike Trout. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, Otani is doing things that are just so unbelievable. Um, but, it, but you know, if the Blue Jays make the playoffs, that that, that, that should not be held against Otani if the Angels don't, which we assume they won't because they're the Angels. The Blue Jays may not either. But, uh, but you know, it just sort of – Thinking about what could happen, you know, down the line. Yeah, I think that I think that, that if Vlad keeps this up, which you know he's been doing for two months and for three months, really, if you count spring training, which the numbers don't count, but he was hitting piss rods all spring too. Um, yeah, I, I think I think absolutely, and you know, it's like it's you feel like it's hard or it should be hard in this modern era where we, you know, where there's war and it really takes in every single component of the game. It's like, well, a first baseman. You know, there's just so little that he offers on defense, but I don't know. The first baseman keep winning MVP awards, right? Like, I mean, last year was 60 games, but still Abreu and Freeman, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's entirely plausible, which is amazing. Uh, and uh, and and again, as another reason, <laughs> we don't have to abandon this name uh, of the podcast. I think. Yeah, I, you point out that. Um... 
that Abreu free and won last year. It has been pretty rare in the like I the 2012 MVP race is sort of for me that's kind of the beginning of the advanced stats era because that was the beginning of the Abreu um, versus Trout debate. And there really haven't been a lot of guys who's won it from that position since then. And so I do think that that is a big part of the calculus for um, for Guerrero. Now, the thing that I'd say about Otani is, one, he's at way more risk to get injured. Like, I re- like trust me, I don't want to see it happen. Like, I'd love to see no. him keep doing what he's doing. It's so good for the game. Honestly, I think that baseball, you know, I didn't like Derek Jeter. I don't think a lot of our listeners <laughs> love Derek Jeter. But I do think that baseball benefited from having kind of a face of the game, whether that was Jeter or maybe Ortiz at times. And it it doesn't have that for the greater public, you know what I mean, for the non-baseball fans. And I think Otani has a chance to be that guy. Like we've seen athletes in other sports chime in on how ridiculous it is. And he's really growing and he's, you know, he's good for the game in terms of interest in Japan. Like they have broadcasts where there's a camera on Otani the entire time, even when he's on the bench. Like that's the level of obsession there, which is justified. However, the whole caveat on Otani is two things. One is that he's at risk to get injured because we don't, you know, he's gotten injured before and we haven't seen guys stay healthy through this in the past. And then number two is... He is a really great hitter, but he's also a bit of an all-or-nothing power hitter, too. Like, he doesn't get on base a ton, like, maybe slightly above league average. I think he was at 328 starting today's action. Like, that's that's not bad by any means. But, you know, Vladdy's well above 400. So the difference between them as hitters is significant. Like, Vladdy is a much better hitter right now in terms of what he's doing than Otani. And his cumulative war would be better than Otani's by a whole win right now. And that's only two months into the season. So if by the end of the year, it was, you know, say it was two wins above what Otani did cumulatively, that's worth thinking about. But it's often about the story, right? And if the story is Otani is the guy who's done this unprecedented thing and he did it for an entire season. And let's say he led the league in home runs, especially because that's something you kind of peg his hitting accomplishments to. I think that even if Vladdy was deserving, the voters would be sucked in by that narrative. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I just I just think it's amazing we're even talking about it, considering you know where uh, where Vladdy was last year and and, uh, and and how you know I I don't there weren't doubters. I certainly wasn't a doubter. That there clearly. It was always in there, but yeah, it was a weird couple of years there to go from the you know the hype to uh, to where we are now, uh, and to see the hype train back uh, back in service is amazing. Um, but no, I think you're probably right, and I would love to be having this conversation all summer. Uh, another thing, I mean, I don't want to derail uh, your your uh, your points here, but also Marcus Semyon is is right up there. Uh, in terms of uh, Fangraphs version of War, at least I haven't looked at any of the others yet. Yeah, he well he was. Kind of, I think he's been the best player in the league in May, you know, and he he does give you that all around contribution, which would be wild to get that guy on a one year relatively inexpensive contract. <laughs> really would, yeah. So what what's the most you know, like you said, it's kind of interesting that we're even having this conversation because you know I never lost belief, you never lost belief, but also belief was tested over the last couple of years. Uh, and I, I would say coming into this season, my expectations for Vladdy had probably been slightly downgraded. I, I never was like, oh, this guy's a bum, which some people got to. But 
you know, after a year and a half of that production, you know, the idea that he was going to be a, you know, a team driving bat, uh, you know, is something that I was definitely reevaluating. So what do you think is kind of the most impressive part of this step forward? And there's plenty to choose from because he's kind of improved across the board. What's something about Vladdy's massive breakout this year that really pops out to you? Um, I guess it's I, mean, I guess it's the plate discipline probably, which is always there, but but really seems to have taken a step forward the more uh, more walks and strikeouts and just the way that you know he's just such in he's so in control of the at bats. You know, uh, it doesn't really matter who he's facing; uh, they have to be at their best because he is just going to punish anything that uh, that that isn't perfectly executed, right? So, um, and that's that's led to you know the uptick in walks, the fact that he can now punish. Uh, mistakes and, and is I think also partly that you know last year he was sort of chasing hits a bit so at times and that maybe led to the, the you know, more strikeouts than we would have expected to see uh, but you know it's like yeah it's just it's all it all just sort of came together in uh, <laughs> in such a perfect way for him right it's, it's hard to pick out one component of it uh, you know and it all sort of goes right back to the the work he did in the off season and getting himself into better shape and maybe there you know, maybe there's even more i had someone on twitter this week being like what if there's another level like what if he goes <laughs> goes and 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 comes back next spring like even even more you know build you know built like like a proper athlete and not like with the vlad we saw last year i don't think he's got another 42 pounds to lose maybe but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's accurate there's probably yeah. a you know a more chiseled version of that what i'm about to say is slightly numbers dense so i pre <laughs> i am going to apologize on how this might go suboptimally from an audio perspective but one thing that has really stood out to me is the whole because we, we talk so much about launch angle and fly balls and Vladdy's got to get the ball in the air. And mm -hmm. this year he's been only slightly better at that. Like his launch angle today is at 7.9. Uh, it was down last year, but his rookie season it was 6.7. So like it's not, it's not way better than what we've seen before. His ground ball rate, 47.9. Last year, again, it was up over 50, but in rookie year it was 49.6. So we're talking about very modest improvements in terms of literally getting the ball in the air. But what's happened when he does is what has been really, really impressive. It's sort of a quality over quantity issue. So one way we measure that is home runs uh, over fly balls. So in his first season, only 12% of his fly balls resulted in home runs, which is pretty surprising for a guy with his amount of power and his strength. Like that was below league average. Mm. 2020, it was at 17.6. That was slightly above league average. So that's actually one of the things he took a step forward with last year. This year so far, it's at 31.4, which <laughs> would be the 22nd best total since 2002, which is when we started getting this stat. So like, you know, for most seasons, that would be the best one. Of course, with a little bit of juiced ball in recent years, uh, you're seeing more of that recently. But the only guy who's done that over his career is Aaron Judge. So if he was going to do that over his career, it would be one of the best we've ever seen at this very important <laughs> metric where he used to be literally below average. And so... You know, I think a lot of people without taking a deeper look at the numbers are going to assume, oh, Vladdy's hitting home runs and he's showing the power finally. He must really be getting the ball in the air and he must have changed that swing into more of an uppercut swing. And that's really not what's happened. Instead, it's just that he's hitting the ball so hard and he's not hitting kind of any of those 
looping, useless, short fly balls. Not like he's not hitting any of them, but he's cut out mm-hmm. that a lot. And when he connects with that good launch angle, even if it's not super high, that is going a long way. And it just, I think that goes back even to the plate discipline. Like he's locked in, he's hitting the right pitches in the zone and he is squaring them up. And it just goes to show that you don't have to totally change who you are to become a lot better. You just need to be the best version of who you are. This is, you know, this is the best version of Vladdy, I think. I don't think that there's another level next year. I'm sorry whoever said that. Uh, I th- I, that's, you know, that's okay, I think, too. Yeah, I think it's okay for this to be the best version of Vladdy, which is I wanted to <laughs> end on this uh, philosophical question. I like to ask a good philosophical question, and that's kind of what this speaks to. So what percentage of what we're seeing is the baseline we should see going forward? To make that clearer, if you think that what we're seeing right now, Vlad is going to do that forever, then that's 100. If you think he's going to be 85% of that, it's 85. If you think he's going to be better, you know, whatever number you want to go up to. If you want to say 200 and you think Vladdy's <laughs> going to have an on base of, you know, 8 86 next year <laughs> right feel free to go there where are we sitting right now in terms of our level of belief that this is the vladi we see from here on out? i mean it's it's pretty close to 100 right i i I'd, i would hesitate to go above 100 because it's just so good that there just isn't that much ceiling there like you say like eight, an 800 on base is just not happening uh but yeah it's i i think it's it's you know, just to just to hedge my bets, I would say like maybe a ninety-five on there, a ninety to ninety-five maybe. But I, but I, even that feels low to me because it just all the tools are there, everything has always been there. Um, credit to the Blue Jays, you know, for the and to Vlad for the stuff that you know we're talking about. Like he didn't go chasing, uh, you know, uppercut swings and. And, and and trying to put the the ball into the air, he just kept doing what he was doing, and, and has you know become the best version of himself. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think I, I think when, when you combine that plate discipline with the ability to hit the ball as hard as he as he has or as, as hard as he can, uh, like that's I, that's not going to go away, and that's really special and elite. And I think that what we're seeing is 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 probably what we're going to get going forward. So I'm. I'm going to go right back up to 100 now, I think. Talk yourself into 100. I'll be, yeah. I'll be more pessimistic. I'll go, <laughs> I'll go like 84, something like that. Wow. Uh, and it's, it's, honestly, it's just nothing bad against what he's done. Like, he's been incredible. It's just that it's, players just don't produce at this You know, we're talking about WRC Plus around 200. Uh, it's just it's so <laughs> rare for a player to yeah. do that that I – I have to kind of engage my best judgment as opposed to engaging the enthusiastic part of my brain and say that. But again, you know, I can see Vladdy being a WRC plus of like 170 consistently. And that's like a Hall of Fame hitter, to be honest. Yeah, well, he was, you know, he was getting 80, 80 grades on his hit tool as prospect. Yeah, so, so. like, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm still willing to consider him as a potential Hall of Famer without saying he'll do this. So that, that's, <laughs> right. that's how good he's been so far. It's just yeah. been ridiculous. Like, we should enjoy it now because it probably won't be quite at this level. But when it isn't, uh, there might be a George Springer hanging around. There might be, be there nice. might be a Bo Bichette getting hotter. There might be some of the other guys uh, finding a new level as well. The last thing I wanted to really get into before we talk about the weekend series ahead, 
I think it's you know it's just fun to see uh, Tyler Glasnow be weirdly salty <laughs> about his start against the Toronto Blue Jays, which did not go well, and Blue Jays still managed to lose the game. But uh, Tyler Glasnow got hammered by the Blue Jays, uh, you know, last week. But we haven't talked about it yet because he had a quote. I'm going to read you the quote about his start. He said. I don't know. I definitely think about it, and I'm not sure. This is like, why did it go wrong? Uh, I think you'd have to ask the Blue Jays what's going on. It was a weird start for me. It was definitely strange. I had decent swing and miss stuff, and I think the takes were different. So he's so close to just kind of accepting responsibility and being like, it was kind of weird, and it didn't go well. And then he just had to throw the line, I think you'd have to ask the Blue Jays what was going on. And for me, that that's where it all kind of goes off. We know there's been conspiracy theories with, you know, the man in white and the Blue Jays before. You know, I can't with 100% confidence say that nothing was going on. I assume nothing was going on because it's okay for a good pitcher to be bad sometimes. Like, it just, it reeks of a guy who just hasn't really struggled and he can't wrap his his head around the fact that he got hit by a good lineup one day. Like, if this happened... Every single time out, you know, if it was a playoff series and somehow he made three starts over seven and every time he only got two strikeouts and he got hit around a pitcher of his quality, maybe I could understand him having this line of thought. But we're talking about one start. Like anyone can have a bad start. It's it's just very confusing to me how his mind just went to, oh, something nefarious must be happening. Yeah, it was absurd, and he's clearly an idiot. And you know, I think you're absolutely right. Somebody who probably just hasn't struggled very much. Like I, you know, I can't count the number of Roy Halladay starts I watched, you know, in person, uh, in the uh, in the Toronto Star past years. Uh, and yeah, sometimes there were bad ones of like you know, just despite this being the greatest pitcher you know I've ever seen up close, basically. Um, you know, yeah, it, it it happens, and it's just it's absurd because the Blue Jays just couldn't touch any of the relievers that followed Glass now, or any of the relievers of the Rays all weekend, basically, and uh, had a just a horrible, demoralizing, awful run. Perhaps part of the uh, of the the Blue Jays happy hour curse. I'm not sure. I don't know if that counts. Too. I think it, it has to be it has to be like Friday late <laughs> afternoon. Like it has to be immediately after the podcast. So we yeah, can't be I held think... responsible for a whole weekend. Fair, fair, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, like, it, the, so the Jays were only cheating against him. Like that's it's just it's so absurd, and it's like it's such a like a routine bad day at the office, even for a great pitcher right like i think somebody somebody phrased it better in my replies about it but it was just like you know you'll have you have five runs and over like like how like how great does he think he is that 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 is must be impossible for him to allow like it's it's absurd yeah and i i end up digging into this quite a bit because i just found it so amusing one thing is it's like yes he only (laughs) had two strikeouts but he also had 11 swinging strikes so if those were timed differently, he could have easily had, you know, five or six strikeouts and the start looks totally normal. And then another thing, first of all, just like we we're calling out Glass now, but I want to call out uh, the writer, uh, not necessarily the writer, because I know that sometimes you write and the headlines and subheads are not what you put. So this might be someone mm-hmm. on the desk uh, of, the, of TampaBay.com. 
The headline, the, the subhead is this, whether the right-hander was tipping his pitches or the batters were peeking at signs, something was amiss in last outing. Like, that's an insane, ridiculous speculation to just put as the subhead of a story when there's absolutely no evidence for that. It's, I mean, it got us talking about it, so well, that's, they did their job. That's digital media, baby. No, but, like, seriously, seriously like, there's some, at the very least, be like, Glasnow says, you know what I mean? Like, you can't just say, like, yeah. oh, this is what happened. And then, so deeper yeah. in the story, a lot of it, a lot of this seems to have come from the one of the TV guys uh, on the Ray side. So it's like Anderson mm-hmm. said the Blue Jays didn't swing. What the Blue Jays didn't swing at was also telling, citing a Marcus Semyon taking a two-strike curveball without a flinch. Also, Reese McGuire taking a late defensive swing on another. Again, here's me apologizing for something that's not going to translate to audio. However, <laughs> I took a look at these pitches because I was like, how ridiculous is it that this didn't happen? The one to Semyon, <laughs> it was like, like it was a good curveball. It was a competitive curveball, but it wasn't one of those ones that just hugs the bottom of the zone. Like it was inches below the strike zone. Like the idea that someone who is, we just mentioned, the hottest hitter in the majors this month would take a curveball outside the strike zone. Not ridiculous. Reese McGuire, a little bit of a different situation because he's a yeah. terrible hitter. And I always found it very amusing when he came up to the big leagues and had like a good week and a half. And people were like, he's a good hitter, despite being a shit hitter in the minor leagues for his entire career. Like there was some optimism about his offense at times and I never understood. <laughs> it was very it. Odd. Anyway, yeah. that pitch was like it was a curveball in the strike zone that he made a late swing at and fouled off. So what is the expectation that a guy is just going to take curveballs in the strike zone with two strikes and just strike out? Like even a hitter like Reese McGuire normally will swing at a pitch in the strike zone with two strikes. That's what hitters do the vast majority of the time. So citing <laughs> these as things that are indicative of some kind of cheating by the Blue Jays is absolutely insane. And like I said, it's possible that they did, and I don't know about it. Like, I don't have the inside info on that. But the evidence that's being presented, like, I'm looking at this with my lawyer glasses on because I don't know the truth, but I know the case they're making. And the case they're making is patently stupid. That's accurate. That is absolutely accurate. No, it is it's such a weird... Weird thing. It's. I mean, it's delightful because we do just get to dunk on everybody involved in making this case. Um, so I'm here for it. More people should just completely baselessly accuse teams of cheating. But, uh, but you know, and also my, my former podcast co-host Drew uh, <laughs> immediately was demanding to understand, to know why Glasnow's spin rate suddenly uh, has continued to increase as he's become a member of the Rays, uh, which is, you know, the form of cheating that is... This is, you know, sort of a hot button issue right now uh, and is real and is affecting the game and is not just this this garbage. Yeah, and it's good. It's, you got to believe it's good bulletin board material for the Blue Jays. Like next time Glasnow comes around, like you're not who knows what effect that has. But in my experience, it's probably just not wise to give your opponents extra motivation. Again, who knows what effect that has? How many runs is that worth over nine? I don't know. But it's just not a smart thing to do. As you point out, uh, Drew mentioning the spin rate thing, you know, that is a absolute epidemic in the game. And is there's a pretty high chance that Glasnow is a part of that, as many, many pitchers are. I mean, that's a crazy, like in terms of cheating in the game, that's so pervasive that it, it's almost impossible to imagine how they're going to crack down on it because it will affect... You know, literally hundreds of pitchers. 
it does feel like that's accurate. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, but it is definitely, uh, it, it's definitely a thing that's going on, and I would love to see them crack down in a way that makes sense, and you know, that which basically just means without, you know, being so strict that it gets a ton of hitters hit because pitchers can't locate their ball anymore without the grip stuff, uh, because I think you know, obviously. Uh, obviously pitchers do need a little bit of, uh, something or many do to get, to get the grip right. Uh, and that's not what the, what the, like the, the formulas to make, you know, as much ability to get extra spin, uh, is doing. It's not just pure grip. So, you know, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I was tweeting about this, ranting about it, uh, the other day. Um, I don't really have a lot of confidence in MLB to uh to get any of this stuff right ever basically when it comes to identifying Uh, problems in the game and swiftly uh resolving them it's pretty evident that this is a league that's not very confident at that like you know even the ball stuff like oh there's uh there's too many strikeouts in the game uh therefore we should make it harder to hit home runs like that's not (laughs) that's not how you solve that problem yeah, they're they're yeah, they're not know. good. They're not good at it. You know, I, I put my my faith in <laughs> Theo Epstein to be the guy to turn it all around because he's turned around multiple franchises and hopefully he can get in the right ears and try and figure something out. Because I'm not the biggest doom and gloom the game is broken guy. I think there's enough people with that mindset that might be a little bit over the top, but there are issues in the game and uh, they are generally speaking not being addressed. <laughs> that's that's absolutely accurate it's the, the theo thing is like you just i i i dread the day that he leaves because you know <laughs> not a not a great sign for your franchise when he's like nope i'm out of here it's uh it's all downhill from there before we wrap it up let's uh take a little look at that weekend series with cleveland this one is uh you know interesting because cleveland is a team that doesn't really try to win that much, but is good enough at developing players <laughs> that they're able to back their way into a fair amount of wins and and stay competitive. They have a ridiculous... They have a trash division, too, as, as part of it. Yeah, that. that's helpful. But, you know, the White Sox are pretty good, and the Twins true. should be good, but, you know, that doesn't seem to be working out, and KC's so getting respectable. Ah. Maybe. Anyway, yeah, I mean, if you were Cleveland and you tried to do the Cleveland thing in the AL East over the last uh, decade or so, that would not have worked. But they do yeah. they do churn out their pitchers. And this is a, a little bit of an interesting series to watch because there's kind of some old friend stuff going on and there's some Canadian content stuff. Harold Ramirez playing a little center yeah. field for the Indians. <laughs> yeah. This one. Uh, I, did I see that he's day to day? He has some sort of a, a hand thing or something. I hope that. Hopefully we see him. Hopefully we see him out. Yeah. Old, old, <laughs> using old friend in like the loosest possible old, old way. Old acquaintance. Harold Ramirez. <laughs> it's funny just because I just remember his scouting profile is always, this guy can hit a little bit, but he doesn't have enough power to play in a corner and he doesn't have enough athleticism to play in center. And then he went on to do kind of okay for the Marlins. And then, you know, he's not a guy you miss. We'll put it that way. It's uh, it, it's no. okay that he's found greener pastures in Cleveland. The Canadian stuff, you know, I think that with the def- the decline of Joey Votto, which, you know, you hate to see, but it's kind of undeniable at this point, 
the kind of next Canadian ball player, player. Wow, that was came out poorly. Next Canadian ball player mantle uh, is a bit tricky right now. Uh, you know, Paxton is constantly injured. Nick Pavetta is actually doing some stuff for the Red Sox that mm-hmm. deserves to be yeah. mentioned. And then the pair that the Indians have, Josh Naylor and Cal Quantrill, those are both guys who at one time were kind of considered possible candidates to be the next big thing Canada-wise. And it doesn't really seem to be panning out for either of them. And I wouldn't bury them either at this point. They're both young. But Quantrill has gone from you know potential near the top of a rotation starter to useful middle relief guy which is what happens to a lot of prospects, but not what you want in terms of face of Canadian baseball. And then Josh Naylor has a lot of power and has had quite a bit of success in the high minors, and it just has not translated in the big leagues. And he's been forced to play corner outfield, and he just is a first baseman. So it's been, and he's on, a, <laughs> he's on his third franchise now. I think he's about to turn 24. So again, like that switch can flip. And Naylor's a guy I've been watching for quite some time now. But I don't know. Like who who is the next big Canadian guy? Or does is that guy in the major leagues right now? I, I'm kind of inclined to believe the next Canadian star that we care about. And I think Canada actually does a pretty poor job of caring about and supporting our Canadian stars. It seems like unless you're on the Blue Jays, you don't necessarily get that. Uh, but I don't know if that guy's in the majors right now. I mean, I guess we're not counting Freddie Freeman as a as a Canadian, mm. despite his uh, his honorary Canadian status. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think he's getting <laughs> getting the the Canadian ball player status. I mean, Jordan Romano. Obviously, that's like you know that's the Blue Jays thing, like you're saying. Um, I'm I'm all for that being a being a thing. Uh, and he's certainly been interesting to watch. Hard for a reliever. And I mean, Eric Gagne did it, but hard for a reliever to be the guy. I mean, also at the same time as Gagne, there was what, like Jason Bay? And there was, there were guys, there were guys. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, to be perfectly honest. I don't know where, uh, where we're at. In terms of like what the the, the emerging stars, well, it just seems like um, we've had a big Canadian star in the game. You know, whether it was Larry Walker and then kind of Eric Gagne, like you mentioned, Jason Bay, uh, you know, Joey Votto. It seems like there's been somebody who's sort of a prominent figure in baseball overall in the major leagues who comes out of Canada for a relatively long time, and now that Votto's on the downswing. We might be in a bit of a ditch here where we just don't have that, you know, super relevant, important Canadian baseball figure, which is not to say that some of the other one guys who are out of Canada, like there's some good players there, but just not stars. And maybe Romano, if the Blue Jays have playoff success and he's sort of the cl- Yeah, when he's closing out the World Series, <laughs> I think you'll be I'll be changing my tune <laughs> when Romano closes out the World Series. I'm, I'm not against seeing that happen, but... Uh, it, but no, that's that's kind of the only way you can get there as a reliever, except for, you know, Eric Gagne pitched one. He was un- so unbelievable. And secondly, it was an era when those players were a little bit more prized and there were more traditional closers. But yeah, R- Absolutely. Romano could get there, but uh, it's tough. And then, yeah, I mean, the, the other stuff to watch for in this series, luckily for the Blue Jays, you don't have to watch Shane Bieber. 
that he's going to be starting prior to he think he started last night. And then one thing just for fans who maybe might not be familiar because he's not as much of a name. And this is a negative thing for Blue Jays if they see him. But James Karinchak, I'm not sure if he quite has that star turn that he deserves because he is potentially the best one inning, most dangerous guy in the entire majors. And he he put up ridiculous numbers in the minors and people kind of wanted to see him transfer that over. And they weren't sure he was going to. But, you know, he's striking out this year is like 16.68 per nine. <laughs> Last year it was 17.6. Like there's nobody who can just mow down hitters like this guy. And, you know, if, if you see him and you're a Blue Jays fan, it probably means the Blue Jays are in a tough spot. But he's also just a guy to appreciate because on a yeah on a one inning basis, there's probably no one in baseball who is more dominant, and he can be a lot of fun to watch. I, I that that's absolutely fair, though. I, I I apologize for taking us back for. I think Mike Soroka is a guy we didn't mention. Who, who and yeah, that that guys. yeah that might be the best candidate currently out there. It's yeah. uh, injury issues, but if he gets over that, unfortunately, yeah. Uh, but but yeah, no, you're absolutely you're also right. About, I'm not even going to try to say, to pronounce his name. I'm, yeah, I'm only eighty one percent sure that I got it right. <laughs> so we can move on. Uh, but yeah, no, exciting, exciting stuff if you're a Cleveland fan. But you're right. If the Blue Jays see him, uh, it's going to remind people of what they think the Blue Jays are, which is just like this ridiculous swing and miss team, which they haven't really been this year. No, not um, at all. That's that. That's that. Dave Hudgens influence, you know. Uh, was there when the Astros did it as well? Went from a, a very strikeout heavy to. Uh, but the, yeah, but there was a, a bit of a there was a garbage can that was involved <laughs> in that as well. It was Dave Hutchins and a garbage can, the big two. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, look, I'm not saying I agree with Tyler Glass now, but no. <laughs> um, all right, so that, that seems like a good place to leave it. Sure. Uh, yeah, the, the hitting coach is garbage. Yeah, we, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, Blue Jays Happy Hour. Please continue to subscribe, listen to us. We are everywhere now, even though out of the gate we had some difficulty. And leave us some reviews. I think we still have a perfect record, but it's got to get broken up at some point. And if you feel like you need to be the person to do it, we will respect your honesty. And we'll see you next week. Hey,